So I, I have to say the cool thing is not only did we have all those high schoolers at camp this past week, but there was a ton of middle schoolers and grade schoolers who got to be at a different camp in the past couple weeks. So uh, God's been doing cool things. So all of you, whether you're here in the room with us now or join us online, as you get a chance to interact with any of the students. And for this morning, it's really easy. The, the students who went to camp are the ones who are like half asleep, still trying to get caught up. But ask them what God taught them this week at camp. Because it's so cool as a church as we get to see God working in students' lives and transforming them as they interact with the gospel. And that, that's such a, a privilege as a church that we get to do that. So this morning, though, we are going through First uh, Corinthians. We started this series last week. Pastor Matt kicked it off as we went through uh, the book of Romans, right? And our whole goal with this series, You've Got Males, we want to look at each of the letters that are written in the New Testament and, and understand them, all right? Which is a big task because like last week, if you were here, uh, Matt in one message covered the entire book of Romans, which is no small task. We can do the same thing with 1 Corinthians today. And, and again, each of these overviews, really that's, it's an overview. We're not gonna cover, we can't cover everything in it, but our goal with each of these is that, that each and every one of you get a little understanding of how these letters fit together and what, what the, the heart of them is. And we want to invite you on your own then just to continue to read through them and understand God's Word as we understand uh, what His Word has for us. So as we get started this morning, though, I want to start with this, that, that as a family, this is another little insight into to my life. Growing up, my family, we love to watch like detective shows. As a, what we'd do as a family in the evenings, we, we would watch these shows together. And I'm talking like good detective shows. Like one of my favorites was Murder, She Wrote. All right? So now I know like all the kids are just staring at me. Trust me, it was good. All right? It was, it was the voice of, of, what was her name, the teapot in Beauty and the Beast. All right? She was this detective, this lady. And, and you know it's going to be good when the intro, there's the music playing, and she's like typing on a typewriter. You're like, oh, this is going to be good. Right. No, but, but with each of these episodes, and, and we watched other ones too, Matlock, Columbo, I, I fell in love with these shows because as you watched them, you're like trying to, to figure out the mystery. You're trying to solve it along with them as you're getting all these little hints throughout the episode, and you're trying to piece it together and figure out who did it. And then at the end, it would all finally come together and you'd, you'd get the answer, but but. Those were all good detectives, but the number one detective in my mind growing up was this man named Sergeant Harlow Doyle of the Odyssey Police Force. Now, some of you, most of you are just staring at me, but this is, this is one of the characters on Adventures in Odyssey. And growing up, me and my siblings on Saturday mornings would get up and we'd listen to it on the radio. Um, we'd, it was on the weeknights too, but we knew Saturday mornings we could definitely catch it. Right now, my kids like have an app and listen to whatever episode they want whenever they want. But we had to listen to it on Saturday mornings. And Sergeant Harlow Doyle was this, this detective who was often trying to help these kids like find a missing bike or something, right? But the thing that I loved about Harlow Doyle was he was just, he was hilarious. Um, he was not a good detective. Uh, the reality is the kids were the ones who actually like solved it and he just came along for the ride. But the thing that I remember about Harlow Doyle is he introduced me to this great little tool called the five W's and the one H. 
My mom then took that, that we learned from Harlow Doyle, and she taught us how to use that to answer questions. When we had questions about something, we would use the five W's and the one H to figure out all we needed to know and become detectives about whatever topic was in front of us. All right, so the five W's, one H, most of you guys know this, right? It's the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Right? And when Harlow Doyle did it, he was always like, the three W's, and then they'd like, well, what about this? And they'd just keep adding, and he, he never got it right. But because he screwed it up so much, I, like, I learned it well. Right? But it's this idea of like, when you have a new thing that you're looking at, how do you research it? How do you figure it out? And so that's what we're going to do today as we look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to answer those questions. And we're going to look at how do we understand what this book is all about. And, and the, the five W's and 1H are going to help us piece our way through it. So I know we've got a lot of like fourth grader, fourth, fifth graders, middle schoolers here with us this morning. So you guys, like if you've got a notepaper, like you can write those out and follow along with us because these tools will help you understand this letter. And the cool thing is, as you're figuring this out, the cool thing is your parents are doing the same thing as they try to understand uh, how we learn from God's word. So we're going to do that. So if you want to open up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're using the chair Bibles, that's on page 923. Uh, and we're going to, obviously, we're not going to read through the whole thing. There's like a lot of chapters, but we're just going to skip our way through some different pieces of it. Uh, but as we do that, I also want to just remind some of you, introduce others, you have this great tool called the Bible Project. Uh, and if you're using the online notes, uh, there's a link to the Bible Project, and specifically their video for 1 Corinthians. And Bible Project has a lot of great videos that you can watch that cover tons of topics in the Bible, but they have these ones that are just book overviews. And in anywhere from 5 to 12 minutes, they'll do this overview of each of the books of the Bible, and you can kind of get an understanding of what it is. And so if you want to, we talked about Romans last week, you can go back and watch Romans. This week you can watch the 1 Corinthians ones. But just another tool for you guys as, you, as we all try to understand God's Word and how it pieces together and what each of the books is all part. It's a really great tool to understand as we're reading together. So here we're going to get started. First question that we have to ask as we approach this book of the Bible is, is the big question of who, right? Who wrote this book and who was it written to? And so we're going to start right at verse 1, which is a great place to start. All right, so verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be apostle of Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So who wrote this? Well, Paul and, and Sosthenes. Right? We know a lot about Paul. Right? He, he, he ends up being the author of a lot of the books that we're going to look at this summer. Uh, but Paul and Sosthenes together write this book. Right? So it's really helpful right, when you have a, a book like 1 Corinthians where it just comes right off the beginning and Paul says, hey, I wrote this. Right? Some of the other ones are, take a little bit more research, but Paul's really uh, good about this in, in 1 Corinthians. He tells us exactly who's writing it and who he's writing it to. He's writing it specifically to the church in the city of Corinth. Right? And specifically, not just to this church of Christians, but he says this, with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, calling, he's writing this letter to a group of people who were committed to following Jesus and chasing after him with their life and, and call themselves followers of Jesus. That's what he's all about. That's what he's writing this letter to. 
So that's, that's the first question. Who is it written to? The church in Corinth. Now we want to try to understand the church in Corinth. Uh, we have to remember that this story of, of the church in Corinth getting started is we can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And so in Acts, if you remember back a couple years ago when we did the whole series on Acts, we followed Paul's journeys throughout uh, the known world as he planned churches. And if you read in Acts chapter 18, that's where Paul, he leaves Athens and he comes to Corinth and he helps establish a church there. And this is a part of his second missionary journey where he goes and, and he preaches the gospel and this church gets established and built up. And Paul is encouraged by the, the people there as they respond to the gospel. And Paul ends up spending a year and a half there. So a year and a half of Paul spending time with these people, teaching them the word of God, getting to know them, working alongside of them, doing life with them for a year and a half. So as Paul's writing this letter, it's to people, not just to this church in Corinth that he knows about, but this is to people that he know, knows all about. He loves these people. In fact, he's probably, as he's writing the letter, he's picturing their gathering and, and there's probably somebody standing up reading and he's picturing that as they're reading it, he knows exactly where people are probably sitting because just like us, they're probably creatures of habit who tended to sit in the same seats every week. And so he knows these people well. He knows all about them. The other thing that we want to make sure that we know about this letter that Paul writes and to these people, he knows these people well, and this letter is actually part of this whole ongoing conversation, this dialogue with him. That as we, the scholars have been looking at, at the letter to 1 Corinthians and, and the letter of 2 Corinthians, we realize that there's references to other letters. That in this time that Paul wrote these letters, there were some other letters that, that are lost that we don't have record of. That, that this letter that we know of as 1 Corinthians was probably Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. So there's a, this first letter, and then this one that we call 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. Then there's another letter that's lost, and then we have 2 Corinthians that we have, which is probably 4 Corinthians. So it gets really confusing. But so there's probably this whole series of at least four letters, this ongoing conversation between Paul and this church. And next week, uh, Pastor Ross is going to pick up in 2 Corinthians. So you guys can all be like really smart next week when he's like, 2 Corinthians, you can just be like, 4 Corinthians. That really confuse everybody. Okay, but the whole heart of all of this is that it's not just that there's this letter to this church that he knows. These are people that he knows and he loves. And he knows all about them. All right, so that's who it was written to. Second question we got to come to is where was it written? All right, and I'm not talking like where. You're like, well, it's page 923. You already said that. Like, no, like where in the world was this written? All right, and so when, when this letter is written, Paul wrote the letter probably while he was in the city of Ephesus. All right, in Ephesus, we know because Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus that we call Ephesians, and we'll get to that later this summer when we, when we come to Ephesians. But Paul was with that church. He was probably in the city of Ephesus when he wrote this letter with Sosthenes to the church in Corinth. All right? So we got the letter was written probably in Ephesus and written to the church in Corinth. Does everybody know where we're at? Okay. I got some people are not, most of it, okay. We don't know ancient Greece well. All right. So let's go, let's go to the map. All right. This is modern day Mediterranean. All right. Does everybody know where we're at? You can see that well, okay. All right, so in the, the bottom right-hand corner of this map, you see Israel down there. So if we remember, as we think about the story of Acts and, and where all these letters fit in, beginning of Acts, it was there that, that the church started in Jerusalem, 
right? And that's, it was in Jerusalem where Paul stood by, and at the time it was called Saul, stood by holding all the coats while Stephen was, was martyred. And then Paul went around and was trying to persecute the church throughout all of Israel. And then it was on his way to Damascus that he got interrupted by Jesus and his life was changed. And then you go up above Israel, you see up there in Syria, kind of in northern Syria along the coast is where the city of Antioch was. And it was at the city of Antioch with Barnabas where Paul was serving and God called them to be missionaries and he sent them off. He sent them off to be missionaries around the known world and Paul and Barnabas traveled and they went from Antioch and they went through Cyprus and Turkey and Greece and all those different areas where they went and they proclaimed the gospel. And so Ephesus is one of the churches that was planted in, in Turkey, kind of in uh, kind of the left uh, sides, that would be western Turkey down on the Mediterranean Sea. Right down there is where the city of Ephesus was. And so it was there that Paul probably penned this letter. And Corinth is in Greece, but on our map here, it's right underneath the word Greece, so we need to zoom in. So let's go ahead and zoom in. All right, so we've got this map of Greece, and for all of you who can read Greek, those are all the names of the rivers, all right? For those of us, we, we, what we really want to know is that Corinth is located right in that red circle. Now, again, in this room, we've got all these middle schoolers and grade schoolers. How many of you know what that little piece of land's called that connects northern Greece and southern Greece? Oh, I heard somebody whispering it. It's an isthmus, all right? So, kids, if you got it right, you look at your parents and just, like, give them a thumbs up because you remembered something from school, all right? But the isthmus, so it's that, that little stretch of land. So Corinth was located right at that isthmus. And right now, you see there's the little blue line because that blue line represents a canal that connects uh, the two seas, the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. And so it became this huge port uh, of transportation, right? But back in Paul's day, there wasn't a canal there, uh, although lots of people tried to dig a canal, um, and, but it's still, even without a canal, it became this huge merchant port. And the reason was because people didn't want to have to sail all the way around the southern end, uh, end of Greece. One, because it took a lot of time, and two, because it was notoriously dangerous sailing conditions. And so a lot of merchants would try to cut through Corinth. And what they would do is they would actually, if you were a wealthy enough merchant, you would come to Corinth, you would bring your ship into port, you would hand over a whole bunch of money and they would hook your ship up to oxen and haul it four miles over ground to the other sea. And they would drag these ships back and forth across. If you've ever been like to the boundary waters, you've been canoeing and you like know how much fun portaging is, right? You like pick up your canoe and all your gear and you hike between lakes. This is just worse because it's a ship. Right? But the good news is, as merchants, you didn't have to do it. You just paid somebody to do it. And so you have this whole city, this whole established city. So Corinth was this, this busy port city, wealthy port city. Athens was to the south, so you still had some of the influence of the wisdom of Athens. And you had all of this money. There are all these Greek temples there. And on top of that, you have a whole bunch of merchants and sailors with time to kill as their ship is hauled over land. And so Corinth was this wild place. And smack in the, de- the middle of this, this wild, busy port town is this little church of Christians. And that's who Paul is writing it to. He's writing this letter to people he knows 
in this little city. All right, so that's where it was written, both where it was written from and where it's written to. So you guys recognize that, and you can think about that as you're reading through Acts and you're reading about these churches. These are real places that we can see, and so it's always helpful to kind of know where those things are. Next, so we've got, we've got our who, we've got our where. So now we come to when. All right, when was this written? Well, Paul came and established the church in Corinth, so Acts 18, probably in around 50 A.D., so 50 AD is when the church was established. And when Paul's writing this letter, he spent a year and a half there, right? And when Paul's writing this letter, it's probably about 53 or 54 AD. So this, there hasn't been a whole lot of time that's passed between when Paul left the church to continue on his missionary journey and when he's now writing these letters back to him, especially considering there's probably another letter already that happened. And Paul's writing this letter to the church to encourage them and to challenge them but it hasn't been that long. Pretty, pretty short gap in time, I mean, especially we think about it, right? Because uh, when we communicate, when we talk, like, man, we, we can send a text message and like, we're like, if it's been more than like five minutes, we're like, oh man, tragedies happen. Something's wrong, right? We expect things instant, right? We send a message, we're like, oh, I saw, they, they saw it. I can tell right now. There's that little blue dot. They, they read this message. Why haven't they replied? What's going on? Are they mad at me, right? We go into all these things. And, and, and we, we have these huge gaps in communication where we think, man, in, in the matter of five minutes, too much time has elapsed, right? But, but in Paul's day, even then, like, man, to travel, somebody actually had to carry, to travel by ship between cities to carry and deliver this letter. And so you expect communication to be this long, drawn-out thing, but even then, there, there's not that much time between when Paul left and when he's writing back to him. This is pretty short. So again, just reemphasize that point. Like Paul knows these people well. It hasn't been long since he's been with them. All right, so now we get to the question of, of how it was written. All right? So again, sometimes when you're going through these questions, you come to a part like, like how, and you're like, well, it's pretty obvious, right? He, he took a pen and wrote. Right? But these, these questions are important to ask because the reality is that, yes, Paul and Sosthenes wrote a letter. And, and I'm not sure whether Sosthenes was the scribe who's actually like writing down what Paul said as Paul spoke or whether they together were writing this letter. But, but this is, when we talk about these books of the Bible, these letters, these epistles to the churches, these are, these are things that, that were actually written down. That Paul and Sosthenes sat down and they, and they wrote it out with ink on a scroll. They wrote down these words, but most importantly, these words that were inspired by God. That God, that, that, that Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, was prompted to write these words to encourage that church, to that church, to send them a message, both for them, but also for us. And then after they wrote it, somebody had to hop on a ship and sail across the Aegean Sea to Corinth and deliver this letter to him. And so how was it written? It was it was written down and delivered. All right, so now we're going to get, we, got, we knocked out some of the easy ones. Now we're going to get to some of the, the hard questions to answer. And, and the first one is, what? What did Paul have to say? Why, why was it necessary? It's only been, you know, a year and a half to two years since Paul left them. Why does he feel so inspired to write them a letter? Well, really, Paul's responding to, to bad news. 
And so what Paul is writing to the church is this idea that people who are transformed by the gospel should look different. Really, the message of 1 Corinthians is just that. That as followers of Jesus were to be held to a different standard of integrity and morality as we seek to represent His new way of life, God's way of life in the world around us, in our communities. The message of 1 Corinthians is that, that followers of Jesus should look different. And so as Paul writes to the church, he's instructing what it means to look different. In 1 Corinthians chapter or 1, verses 18 through 31, Paul goes on and explains that, that the way of the cross is foolishness. It's this idea that, that what God is calling us to may seem crazy to the world around us. It's foolish. Right? Because our example, the model that we're to follow is Christ. God, who humbled himself, came to earth and became a suffering servant and allowed himself to be beaten and broken and, and crucified for us. He humbled himself to the point of the cross for us. That's the model that we're called to follow. And so the way of the cross is foolishness. But we're called to be different. That's the example that we're to follow. And we'll get to a little bit more into what all the First Corinthians entails, but in doing so, we got to look at the why. Why did Paul write? Paul wrote this letter because he was hearing all the news about how the church in Corinth wasn't living up to what they were called to be. That in the short time that Paul had been gone, things started to fall apart in the church. And there was a whole bunch of problems. So Paul's letter is really just a response to all these issues that pop up in the church. All these issues of things that are going wrong. Paul was frustrated by what he heard. Again, these are the people that he knows. He spent a year and a half with them, teaching them. And then in a short time he's gone, he's hearing reports of how the wheels have fallen off. And so he's writing back to them to challenge them, to rebuke them. Because Paul heard about the divisions that had popped up in the church. Right? That within the church there's these arguments. People saying, well, I follow Paul. And others saying, I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. And, and there's this whole popularity contest amongst the leaders of, of who do I attach my name to. And Paul's response to him is like, no, that's not what it's called to be. That, that's, that's the world of this, this whole popularity contest and divisions and, and looking at ways that we're different. He's like, that's not what it's supposed to be. And then there is these reports of sexual immorality that were happening in the church, that people were abusing the freedoms that we have in Christ and using that as an excuse to live any way that they wanted to. And there were issues about the way people were <laughs> treating marriage and, and divorce. There are all these arguments and debates about what food was proper to eat and, and what things were supposed to look like and how Christians were supposed to handle themselves. There were issues about how Christians were handling money within the church. And there are all these lawsuits that were happening as everybody was fighting for their own rights and in arguments with one another, and it was, the church was a mess. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians to say, this is not how it's supposed to be. Followers of Jesus, the gospel changes everything. 
The gospel changes the way that we see the world. The gospel changes the way that we interact with the people around us. The gospel transforms the wisdom of this world to foolishness. The gospel changes our response to the world around us. The gospel changes everything. That's Paul's message time and time and time again throughout this letter. The gospel changes everything. We are to live lives that are different as we are transformed by the gospel. Turn with me to, to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 11, Paul writes, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. As he's talking about all the issues that are going on, describing the way things are, he's like, that's what you used to be. Your lives were a mess. You're doing things your own way and all these things, that's how you used to be, but you're not that anymore because you've been changed. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, our lives are different. If you continue on to the, the end of chapter 6, <coughs> verses uh, in 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Followers of Jesus, you are not your own. Your life has been bought for a price <laughs> out of this world. The blood of Jesus Christ has bought you and you are not your own. We're called to honor God with our bodies. And so when we talk about divisions in the church, there's no division in the church. We are, we are all one in Christ. There shouldn't be arguing in church over who's the best leader or who I attach my name to. We are followers of Christ. When it comes to sexual immorality, we are called to, called to honor God with our bodies because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When we talk about marriage and divorce, God's got a different standard than the world around us and we're called to live up to God's standard. When we talk about arguments about the food that we eat or how we handle money or divisions and, and arguments and lawsuits that are happening, we're, we're reminded again that we are willing to give up our own rights. We are willing to use what we have for others. We are willing to be wronged for the sake of Christ because our example is Jesus who gave up all of his rights and humbled himself for us. That's the example that we are given. And so as followers of Jesus, our lives are to look different. So I'll wrap up our time here by a couple of things. Why, why should we care, right? If that's why Paul wrote about it to that church, why should we care? And, and the simple answer is because we have the exact same problems the church in Corinth had. We wrestle with the same very things because as followers of Jesus, we still live in a fallen world and a fallen society, and we are called to be different. And so first and foremost, we have to remember this. When we talk about the gospel, we don't earn it. We are transformed by the gospel. At this point, we can't say enough. It's nothing that we do. It's all about what Jesus did for us. The gospel transforms us. A lot of people look at the Bible, look at Christians and say, this is just like a behavior modification program, right? Here's this set of standards. You need to follow them to the best of your ability. And the better you are at following these rules, the happier God will be with you and you'll make him happy and you'll get to spend forever with him. And that is false. 
The gospel is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our failed attempt time and time again to please God, which we could never do, Jesus came to rescue us. And it's because of what he did that we have life in him. What we read in in chapter 6, verse 11, you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of Jesus. We are saved because of what Jesus did for us. That is the truth of the gospel that we have to keep coming back to you again and again. But secondly, gospel transformation is not instantaneous. Sometimes we get this wrong idea that all I've got to do is surrender my life to Jesus and poof, everything's good. Right? But when we come to that point where we recognize our need for a Savior and we surrender to Jesus, man, it, it... we still have all of our habits, all of our sinful nature. There's this whole process. We call it sanctification. This process of becoming more and more like Jesus, where God shows us the things in our lives that don't measure up, shows us the parts of our lives that don't match what God is calling us to. And we get the opportunity to start to, to learn to live differently. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to learn to obey. And God begins to change us and transform us bit by bit by bit. And we get to spend the rest of our lives following after Jesus. It's why in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, Paul says, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. Paul was very quick to point out all of his flaws and and his shortcomings, and yet he followed Jesus. And so when he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, he's like, follow my example. I'm not perfect, but look at how I'm following Jesus. Let me set an example for you to follow. And so we have Paul as an example of somebody who followed Jesus. We get to model our lives after him and, and learn like he did. But we're also surrounded by a whole community of people who are doing the same thing. People who've been following Jesus for a long time that we can learn from. That we can see, look how, look how they've learned to obey Jesus in this way. Look how they've learned to surrender their life to him. I want to be like that. I, I had the, the incredible honor to be part of a funeral this week for a lady who loved Jesus. And her life reflected Jesus. She was far from perfect. And she would probably would point out, like, man, you should have seen me before, before Jesus got a hold of me. But she spent years following Jesus. And, and towards the end of her life, man, she modeled Jesus. She loved people like Jesus loved people. She cared for people. She was patient. She set an example for us to follow, and her kids can look at her and be like, man, as I follow Jesus, I want to be more like mom. And God has given us so many people like that that we can look up to and learn from. But it's not instantaneous. And on top of that, another thing to remember, man, gospel transformation is hard. right? (laughs) Nobody ever said this was going to be easy. Right? Dying to your own self and surrendering to God in all aspects of your life is hard. It takes work. That's why Jesus said that we're to pick up our cross daily. Right? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. Right? Paul recognized that, man, the things I know that I want to do, I want to be like Jesus. I don't do those things. And then these areas where I'm like, man, I need to stop doing that. He's like, I find myself doing it anyways. And his whole response in all that at the end is like, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul recognized it. This is hard. 
It's a continual battle as we learn to surrender our will to follow Jesus. Students in the room, man, you, it, it's a challenge. It's not easy, but it is so worth it as we learn to follow after Jesus, as we learn to give our lives to him and be obedient to him. God is good to us, and he is faithful to us, and the, he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us. Adults in the room, same thing. It's true for all of us. It doesn't matter how old we are. It is hard work as we seek to follow Jesus, as we surrender our own will to his. But the final thing I, I want you guys to pay attention to in all of 1 Corinthians is this, is that gospel transformation is comprehensive. Gospel transformation affects every aspect of your life. There's nothing off limits to the gospel. It should change every part of your life. The way you handle money, the way you handle every relationship, what you do with your time, what you do with the gifts and talents that God is giving you. What are you doing with every, the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you think about, all of that should come under the influence of the gospel. And that, that's what, it, what we're called to be, people who live according to the gospel. I'm reminded in, in the Gospel of John, as, as Jesus is gathered with his disciples, right, the night he's, he's betrayed, as he knows that he's going to be betrayed that night, and he knows the next day he's, he's going to be crucified. And this is, these are his last words to his disciples. And, and in John 13, 35, his response to them is this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is love for others. Church, how do we do with that? Does the world around us look at, at, at us and say, man, there's something different about those people. It's the way they love each other. It's the way they care for the community around them. It's the way they, they treat each other. There's something different about them. Because that was what got Paul so frustrated. He said, church in Corinth, you look no different than the world around you. The only difference between you and the rest of the people who live in Corinth is that you waste time on Sundays at church. But the rest of your life looks just like them. And that's Paul's challenge to us too. Is, man, we should look different than the world around us. The world should look at us and say, man, there's something different about you. It's the way we love other people. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, spends a whole chapter defining what love is. We often just read it at weddings because weddings are about love. But, but it's not about weddings. Because if we're to be known by our love, Jesus called us so that people will know us by the way we love one another. The standard of love is what Jesus did for us. That love is not seeking its own. Love is patient. Love is kind. I, I would challenge you, if you're not able to read through all First Corinthians week, read chapter 13 and think about, it. is this the way I engage with the world around me? Do I love other people? Am I willing to set aside my own rights because I care for the people around me? We're called to love our enemies. We are called to love. Because as the church, as followers of Jesus, as we love others, the world will see something different. They will recognize that there's something different about us. And it's not because we've got things all together. It's because we found Jesus. And he changes everything. Would you stand with me as we wrap up our time in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope that we have in you because of Jesus. Father, we thank you that, that you loved us enough that you pursued us. 
And you set an example for us to follow, that, that we are to love one another. That the gospel that, that saves us changes who we are as we fall under the influence of you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God, we pray that you would help us to love one another. That your gospel power would change our lives to reflect you so that the world around us, the, the neighborhoods we live in, the, the places we work, the, the family that we're around, that people would see something different that they would see you. And God, we pray that more and more people will come to know the hope of the gospel as we follow you and live our lives in obedience to you. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.